Well, hey, uh, hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. That'll help you follow along um, in this morning's message because we've been working our way as a church through the book of Acts throughout this year, and we're going to continue that today. But you know, as I was thinking about kind of our passage today, there are some miracles in the Bible that are just amazing, right? There's some things that make you just think, man, I would have loved to have been there to see this happen, right? I would have loved to have been there to see Moses raise his staff and and the Red Sea part and and the Israelites come through on dry ground. I would have loved to have seen Joshua march around the city walls of Jericho. Seven times they march around and then they blow the trumpets and the walls come falling down. I would have loved to have been there for that. Or to see some of the things that Jesus did. There was a storm in the area and, and Jesus Jesus speaks. It says he speaks to the wind and the waves, and he says, peace be still. And he has such power that the wind and the waves listen to him and obey, and they're still. Or later on, his friend Lazarus has has died, and he's actually been in the the tomb for, for three days, and yet Jesus calls him out with the words, Lazarus, rise up. And there are so many things that just make you say, wow, only God could do that, which is kind of the point of a miracle, right? Only God could do that. Uh, But there is one of my favorite events that always astounds me, always astonishes me in the Bible that is not actually listed usually as a miracle, although to me it really is. And I'm talking about uh, the historically documented amazing growth of the early church, which is what the book of Acts is all about, how the church grows in those early days. But of course, it's not just the book of Acts. Historians tell us that even when the book of Acts is completed, uh, that, that, that the gospel continues to go out uh, like never before and spreads like nothing that's ever been seen before. And one of the things that I love about it is it started with a letter Seven guys and some of their friends literally hiding together in an upper room. And these people, they didn't know what they were going to do. They had no power. They had no money. They had no influence. They had no strategy or plan. All they had was this unwavering conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. And all they had was this new power that was filling them that they they came to understand was the Holy Spirit. And and yet everywhere they went, um, sometimes they would uh, be persecuted. Sometimes they would bicker with one another. Oftentimes they would get thrown out of the town. But everywhere they went, it seems like more people believed and followed and were added to the church. In fact, for, for you map people, let me just show you a map here. This is of the Roman Empire in 45 AD. So it's not too long after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And the little kind of highlighted yellow spot there, uh, whatever color that is, over by Jerusalem, it basically shows you where Christianity was at about 45 AD. It spread spread there. Fast forward about about 20 years um, to 65 AD. This is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So this is kind of where we are in the story right now in the book of Acts. And you can see that the gospel started to, to really advance and grow in a lot of areas. But then fast forward all the way to 325 AD. And historians tell you but that by that point, the gospel had spread throughout the Roman Empire. And as many of half of all of the people professed to follow Christ as their Savior. And one of the amazing things about it, one of those like, wow, only God could do, thi- do this uh, things about this for me, is that all of this growth primarily took place, not because of, there was a, a small group of po- apostles and some church leaders, but it was primarily regular people telling regular people that this is what Jesus had done in their life. 
And then they lived that faith out in a way that, that made a difference in their community, that made a difference in their world, and, and the church began to grow. In fact, to me, it's just fascinating that some of the most significant advances in the history of Christianity, we don't even know the names of the people that were a part of this. So for example, the church in Antioch, we've been reading about the church in Antioch for the last few weeks. It's this, this amazing church, plays this big role in the, the story. They were, they were a very diverse group. They were generous. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. These were the ones that sent out missionaries for the first time. So after the church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch is probably the, the most significant church um, in, in New Testament and in the book of Acts. And um, you know who started it? The author of Acts, Luke, records it. It was, wait for it, some men. Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene went up and started this church. He doesn't even tell us what their names are, as if their names aren't important. But the reality is, they're not the heroes of the story. The heroes of the story is the Holy Spirit, or the hero of the story is the Holy Spirit. And so that's how we see things spread. And our message today is going to be called, How Things Grow. And we're talking about how the church grows, but we're also talking a lot about how we grow. How do I grow to become the, the person that God has me to be? How do we, we begin to experience that change in, in my character? And you know, when you study the book of Acts, it's fascinating to see how things happened long ago, and we're going to study that. But to me, the heart of any study of the book of Acts needs to be this question. The most important question is this, can it happen again? Can it happen again? Can it happen in my day? Can it happen in my world? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to open our our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I invite you to do that um, now, and we're going to see some pretty ordinary stories, some not so ordinary stories, uh, but I think the encounters that we're going to see today should help answer that question, can it happen again in my life? Because we're going to see some principles of how things grow that are still true for you and for me um, still today um, in 2023. So open your Bible to Acts 16, and one of the funny things about Acts chapter 16 and these amazing stories is it almost didn't happen. It almost didn't happen until Paul has a dream. Paul has this dream. So I'm just curious, how many of you guys remember your dreams? Can you guys, do you remember your dreams? Uh, First of all, I like hardly ever dream. I I very rarely dream. And when I do have a dream, I I can never remember it. I try to remember it the next day and there's just nothing there. Jannie, on the other hand, dreams all the time in very vivid detail and remembers it all and it impacts her mood the next day. Can I just tell you, there have been times when she has woken up mad at me for something I did in her dream, which doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, I probably deserved it. That's fine, but it just didn't seem right. But, but Paul has this, this dream, and it comes after, first of all, Paul gets together, and now he's got a new traveling partner named Silas. Remember, he gathered Timothy, and now also the author of the book of Acts, Luke, is with them. From here on out, Luke starts to refer to, we went here and we went there, and so that's because Luke was a part of this group. And so they get this kind of missionary team, and they decide that they're going to go to Asia. And so they left from Jerusalem, they go to Antioch, and then they head out into Asia. That's primarily uh, what we would call modern-day Turkey, and they've already visited some of those cities there. And so they're going to go back and they're going to visit them. But Acts 16 has these really strange phrases in them. Like in verse 6 where it says this. They were trying to go to these cities, but it says the Holy Spirit kept them 
from preaching there. And then in verse 7, it says, And the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go to certain cities there along the way where they wanted to go. So it's fascinating. They got this plan. This is where they're going to go. The Holy Spirit won't let them go there. Now, we don't know exactly what happened there. Was it, I don't know, was, were, were there just closed doors and the people wouldn't welcome them in? That, that doesn't seem right. They'd visited a lot of those cities before. Maybe there were some strange circumstances. Maybe there was a, I don't know, there was a, a storm or the, you know, the road washed out or the people got sick or maybe, you know, they got a flat tire on their chariot, which probably isn't it because they were walking most of the way. Um, or maybe, just maybe, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to their spirit, but something happened that the doors were closed. And the place that they wanted to go, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going there. So Paul, at that point, does exactly what I would have done. And he takes his little team, and they head to the beach. You see, they go over to Troas, which is along the Aegean Sea, which, by the way, is somewhere that I'm going to get to see on my sabbatical here uh, that begins <coughs> after service today. Um, <laughs> that's not quite right, but... Um, so they go to Troas, and it's there along the Aegean Sea, and they're just kind of figuring stuff out, and there, and, you know, Paul's got a little umbrella in his drink or something like that, and they're there at the beach. Actually, I made that part up. Um, But in verse 9, this is where we're going to pick the story up. Verse 9 says this. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision. He had a dream of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they have this dream, and right away they pack up their stuff and they go. And so from the beginning, as we're asking this question, how do things grow? One of the ways that things grow is through immediate obedience to what God says. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? God says, here's a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over here. We need your help. And the next thing they're doing is they're packing their bags to go to Macedonia. It's just like this immediate obedience. No questions asked. They just uh, obey and they go. Now, Macedonia, this is significant. Macedonia is in what we would call or is considered Europe. So to this point, the gospel had been in Asia. So they were just obeying what God called them to do. But something big is about to happen. For the very first time, this missionary group is going to take, the, take, the, take their message into a whole new continent. And they're going to begin to take the message into Europe. And that's really significant. And it happened because of their immediate obedience. Second thing we see about kind of how things grow is that significant growth often takes place when we when things don't go the way we plan, right? Have you ever experienced this before? Have you noticed that? We have our plans. We, you know, know how we want things to go. And yet sometimes uh, those, uh, those, it just doesn't go that way. And those tend to be the opportunities for the greatest growth. Because when we have our plan, we're working it, we're in control, we're in charge of all this stuff. But when things don't go our way, what do we have to do? We've got to depend on God. And we've got to hold on to God. And so a lot of times things don't go our way and and we don't like it at all, especially if you're kind of a high control person and you know who you are. But the reality is, is this is happening for some of you right now. You're in a situation that you don't like. It's not the way you planned. It's not what you expected. And it's where you are. And you are doing everything you can to push back against that, to fight against that, when maybe, just maybe, God is saying, slow down and I see you right where you are. And I've got you right where you are. And open your eyes up. 
and see if I can't meet you in that situation. Proverbs 16.9 is a great scripture for this. See if you agree with this. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but it's the Lord that establishes their steps. And when we can get that through our mind, we begin to grow because we begin to see the opportunities that God's got in front of us. There's a, a quote from uh, Pastor Renee Scheffler over in Santa Cruz. I uh, wrote a book on Acts and he said this. I thought this really described it well. He said, because, talking about this situation, because they didn't get to go where they wanted to go, they ended up exactly where they needed to be. Has that ever happened to anybody? Let me just read that one more time. Because they didn't get to go where they wanted to go. They wanted to go to Asia. They ended up exactly where they needed to to be, which in this case is Macedonia. So if God is going to direct them to Macedonia, what's the big deal? What, what are they going to find there? Well, what they're going to find is that things start to grow because they hop on this boat and they go uh, across the way and they go to the city of Philippi, which I also get a chance to see during my sabbatical. Um, and if you've been studying the book of Acts, you remember whenever they come to a new city, they always follow the same pattern. And that's what they do when they get to Philippi. Uh, they come to this new city and they always go first to the synagogue before they go anywhere else. So it's the Sabbath day and Paul and all of his traveling buddies go looking for the synagogue. And there's none to be found. Because the rule was, anywhere there were 10 Jewish men, you could have a synagogue. But apparently, in Philippi, there weren't even enough Jewish people to even have a synagogue in that area. And so, what we know about Philippi is Philippi was an intensely Roman city. It was a very Roman city. It was founded because it was kind of along, a, 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 you know, one of the trade routes. But it was also a well-known, like, retirement community for former Roman military officers. So, part of their retirement package, if you made it to a certain level in the, the Roman army, is you got some land around Philippi. And so, it was kind of like the Del Webb of Roman soldiers, right? And golf courses, a clubhouse, all this stuff. Um, but the majority of the people who lived there were then very patriotic, right? These were the most patriotic Roman people that lived there. They didn't speak Greek. They spoke Latin there. They were 100% pro-Caesar. They were 100% pro-Roman gods. And not only that, they didn't trust anybody who wasn't Roman. And they had a special prejudice and hatred towards Jewish people. And that's the city that God directs them to go to. Which doesn't sound like a dream. It sounds like a nightmare. And I wonder if they wondered, God, did, did, you, did we hear you right? Did you really want us to go to this place? Well, let's pick the story back up in verse uh, 14. Well, it says, uh, actually, first, a little bit more. First, so they go looking for the synagogue. They go looking for the synagogue, can't find anything, and so they hear that there's a, a prayer meeting, some sort of prayer meeting that's taking place down by the river. And so they go down by the river, and they find a group of kind of high society women that are in some sort of, of, of prayer meeting, and that's where we'll pick it up in verse 14, because this is what it says. So they go down to the prayer meeting, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And get this, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us to do that. So in some ways, that's a 
relatively ordinary situation. They go down, there's this group of women, they share the, the gospel, they share the story of Jesus with them, and this woman, Lydia, it says God opens her heart and she responds to the message. Seems kind of ordinary, but you guys, this has huge implications. So let's just think a little bit about what we know about Lydia. It tells us that she is a wealthy businesswoman. So she does a lot of business, she's wealthy, and it says specifically that she traded purple cloth. So purple cloth was the most expensive, most sought-out fabric that you could get uh, in the world at, at that time. I read this week that one of the ways they got the dye for the purple cloth is it was fine, the best as I can understand, it kind of like a sea urchin, and they would get them out, and, and they would crush them up, and it would create this, this purple dye that they could could dye the clothes with. So very time-intensive, very labor-intensive. Point being is Lydia had all these people that, that worked for her, and she was kind of a big deal. In fact, she traveled for business, which was rare, especially for a woman in those days. But what does it say? It says that Lydia was actually from Thyatira, which ironically is the place that Paul and his team were trying to go when the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 you can't go this way, go the other way. Almost as if God knew that they didn't need to go here because who they needed to talk to was over there at the time. And so they go, and, and, and there she is at the prayer meeting along the river that day. And so when you think of Lydia, think about this. She is put together. She is driven. She is smart. She is respected. And she was religious. She's at this prayer meeting seeking, trying to understand things, but not yet a Christian until Paul and his team explain things to her. God opens her heart, and you guys, she becomes the very first convert in Europe at least in the book of Acts. There were Europeans that had heard the message before, but, but in this story that's telling the growth of the church, she is the very first convert in the book of Acts, which is pretty significant. By the way, uh, there's this great little phrase there when it says that God opened her heart and she responded. The Greek word there, she responded, one of the ways that it's also used at that time is, is how an alcoholic responds to, to wine. In other words, they, they crave it. They, they can't get enough of it. They'll do whatever it takes to, to get it. And that's the way she approached the message of Jesus. Paul shares this with her, and, and she opens her heart, and she just can't get enough of it. And I know some of you are, are in a situation where, where God's opening your heart, and you're just eager to, to know more and to want more, and that is from God, and that is such a good thing. Keep going. Keep digging. Uh, and for those of you that are missing that, what a great thing that is um, to go back um, to that. But again, we're asking this question, how do things grow? And one of the ways that things grow in Lydia's life is she comes to understand very quickly that everything that was hers before she met Jesus, before her conversion, so we're talking about her home, her business, her family, her possessions, it now belonged to the Lord, right? What does it say? It says, immediately, she and some of her family were baptized. Reminds me of Alan and Annabelle, mom and a daughter getting baptized uh, together. And, and then she not only invites Paul and the team to, to come stay at her house, but later on, we believe that, that Lydia was one of the people who provided financially for the ministry. God had blessed her with a lot, and so she was going to use that uh, for the kingdom. Uh, and she, uh, it was believed that, that, that the church that met at her house, so the very first church in Europe, actually met at her house. There it met at, the, at Lydia's house. And later on, Paul would write a letter to send to this group to kind of encourage them. We know this letter as the book of Philippians. And all of this stuff happened because they were in the place they needed to be 
not necessarily the place that they wanted to go. And as things move on, that brings us to the next experience. As we see that growth happens, but now the next thing we're going to see is that growth is threatened. So if Lydia is wealthy and independent and put together, we're about to encounter someone in the story that's just the exact opposite of that. The Bible says that she was a slave, that she was possessed by a spirit, that she made a lot of money for her owners. And the, the way she did that is she was like a, a fortune teller or a, you know, a medium. And so people would come and they'd want their questions answered. And, and their, the owner of this slave would kind of, you know, sell her out, rent her out to, to give, a, to give a, a fortune. And this is actually a famous sketch. It dates back to the 1600s of, um, of this scene, this woman on the ground here. And that's Paul and, and Silas in the, this sketch. Um, because the strangest thing happens. They finish their time with Lydia and they begin to go into the city of Philippi. And as they're walking around the town, this woman who is a slave, possessed by a spirit, made a lot of money for her owners. Every time she saw them coming, verse 17 says that she would do this. She would shout out, These men! are servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. And everywhere they go, she would shout this out, these men are from God. They're telling you the way to be saved. And it's kind of an interesting little predicament right there because what she's telling them is, is correct, but it's not really the endorsement you're looking for, right? Do you really want kind of the town crazy lady endorsing your message? And so this goes on for apparently several days. Uh, and then finally in verse 18, this is what we read. It said, she kept this up, shouting these things out for many days until finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Amazing. Paul delivered this girl from what was tormenting her. And suddenly she was in her right mind. And I love that story, but one of the things that I love about it is this girl's story comes where? Right after Lydia's story. Because as we, as we said, who was Lydia? Put together, wealthy, independent. We actually have a picture. This is kind of an ancient Roman painting of, not Lydia, but a wealthy Roman woman. Beautiful, all of these things going for her, all this stuff. And Jesus steps right into her life and begins to transform her and changes her life dramatically. And then the very next thing happens, he comes to this girl and she's completely busted up and she's taken advantage of. She's a nobody. And you guys, Jesus steps right into her life as well. Now, if I were to ask you, and I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you would, would think, you know, I, I kind of relate to Lydia. I may be a little different than that, but I've mostly, you know, had kind of a good life and things have been kind of together and, and I, I really relate to, to her and those experiences. But then I would say, how many of you relate to this other person who happens to be demon-possessed, a fortune teller who happens to be a slave? And since this is California, there might be one or two out there, I don't know, but... Um, most would be like, I don't know, I, I'm not sure I could, could get that. Well, if that sounds a little much, think of it in these terms and see if it sounds a little more familiar. This is someone who had allowed herself to be under the influence of something that was beyond her control, right? It was someone or something over which she was powerless. And so it led her to a life of self-destruction, self-destructive behaviors like shouting out random things in the middle of the town square. And it led to a life of shame. She was disrespected. She was taken advantage of. And now does that sound a little more familiar? 
Because here's the thing, some of us can't relate to Lydia, but you hear that woman's story and you hear, that's where Jesus found me. That's where Jesus found me in the middle of my addiction and my despair and my bad choices and the mess that I made of my life. And Jesus stepped right into my mess and he delivered me. And so here's the thing. Some of us relate to Lydia, some of us relate to the other girl, but a lot of us are both. On the outside, we want everybody to think we've got it all put together. We want everybody to think that we look a certain way, but on the inside, a slave. And Jesus sees us in that. And Jesus knows us. And he comes and he delivers us. And he says, you, you are mine. You see, things grow when we come to understand this deep truth that you guys, the good news, the gospel of Jesus is for everybody. You may be saying, you know what, I'm not sure I'm really the, the Jesus type. I'm not really sure that, that, you know, that's kind of my thing. I gotta tell you, there is no such thing as the Jesus type. Everyone is the Jesus type. The life-changing, delivering, saving good news of Jesus is for everyone. There's no one who could say that message is not for me. In fact, maybe you've heard this before. There was this terrible um, prayer that the men in Jesus' day and around that time used to pray. Jewish men would pray this prayer. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, it was recorded like this. It says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me. Thank you, God. You're so good that you have not created me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Do you guys know what we have in Acts chapter 16? Jesus came for all of those things. He comes for the woman, he comes for the slave, and we're about to see that he comes for the Gentile. You see, and Jesus came for you. He came for you. You see, things grow, your life grows, the church grows when we come to understand that the gospel is for everyone. And so this demon-possessed woman, her life is transformed. And remember, it said that she made a lot of money for her owners. So do you think that her owners were happy about this, this thing? Absolutely not, right? They were, they were very upset about it. And the truth is, when, um, the, when there's light, the darkness will always try to push back against the light. So light comes to this woman's life, but, but the darkness isn't going to let go easily. And I share that because some of you are experiencing God's light in your life, and the darkness isn't going to let go real easily. Hang firm. Be strong. God is with you. And that's what happens with this girl. They start to push back. And, and so the owners of this slave, uh, these slaves um, start to, to cause a, a problem. But the good news is, is we know that growth continues through hardship. So the owners, they make these accusations. They cause a riot. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're eventually thrown into jail. And the last person that we're going to find in today's story uh, is a Roman jailer. So he was likely a Roman soldier, one of those guys who resettled there in Philippi and had kind of a, a good job uh, as a part of his retirement as a, uh, the jailer for this jail in Philippi where Paul and Silas are thrown into. And this is what we read in verse 24. It said, when this jailer received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in stocks. Now, when we talk about the inner cell of a Roman jail, uh, of course, that would have been the, the place that was in the middle. That's the inner part. And there would have been probably outside areas. And the inner cell was often, of course, in the middle. And it was a little bit lower. And it had a hole in the middle of it. Because oftentimes, that's where the, the human waste would kind of run and, and collect there. And so they decide that they're going to put Paul and Silas in the inner cell. And they're going to, they're going to bind their feet in stocks and stretch them out. And it's hard to even imagine what a gross and, and horrible thing that is. 
But here's what I want you to know. Things grow when we embrace suffering. We never like it, but when we're willing and able to go through suffering, we grow and and God's mission grows. And that's what we see here. Now, hopefully none of us will ever have to experience anything like Paul and and Silas uh, experienced on that day. Um, But here's what I know. When things are tough in your life, God's there with you. And that can be a season of great growth for you. In fact, the church throughout history has always grown the most, not in seasons of comfort, but in seasons of persecution. So they're there in the jail, and I think verse 25 has got to be my favorite verse in the whole story. Verse 25 of Acts 16 says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas, who are there in the jail in the middle, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And I don't know about you, but in my life, about midnight, that's when things look their worst, right? The problems are the biggest around midnight. The temptations are the strongest around midnight. The fears always seem the scariest around midnight. And there are Paul and Silas, and I can only imagine the darkness was closing in on them there around midnight. And as the darkness closes in, they decide, you know what, we're not going to give in to that. We're going to push that darkness back with some light. And so it says that they begin to pray and they begin to sing songs to him. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I kind of got a picture in my mind. Maybe it was, you know, Paul kind of ran hot, and so he might have been a little discouraged at this point. So maybe it was Silas, feet hanging in the air, middle of the inner cell, and he starts to sing, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made. And Paul's sitting there listening. He says, how about you, Paul? Do you got one? Do you got a song to sing? Paul's like, I don't know. All right, I got one. He says, and when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And now they're, they're gaining some steam and people are listening and, and I, at least the way I envision it, now they're singing together. They're maybe even busting into a little two-part harmony and, and they, they bust into the, the lyrics. And the king is among us and the glory surrounds us and the fire is falling as we sing. And when they sing, the fire is falling. The ground begins to shake and the walls begin to tremble. And the scripture tells us that the, the, the doors of the prison come off and the chains that had bound them come off. Everybody's chains come off. And the jailer rushes in and he's terrified, in part because of this earthquake that just happened, but partly because the deal was if you were the, the Roman jailer, you were responsible for the people in your jail. So if they got out, if they escaped, your life was at risk. And so he pop, cop, comes in and he sees that the chains are off. And so he grabs his sword and he's just going to commit suicide because that's what's going to happen to him, anyways. So he grabs his sword, but Paul shouts, he says, No, 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 don't do it. Don't harm yourself. Everyone's here. Nobody is left. Now, we don't know who the other people were in the jail, but we do know this. Even when their chains popped off, they didn't go anywhere. Perhaps they were in awe of what they were seeing or what they were experiencing or even the songs that they just heard these guys sing. Well, everyone is dazed and confused. And what comes next, you guys? This is a story that in the book of Acts that every Christian needs to know. Verses 29 through 34 say this. It said, the jailer 
called for lights. He wanted to get some light on this thing. And he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. I bet he did. And then he brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And there's the question. What do I have to do to have this? What do I have to do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You're not going to hear a more powerful or a more simple message than that. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He actually says, you and your household. You and your household. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and now he washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Isn't that amazing? I love that. And it all took place, you guys, because things grow when we can still worship even through the trials. Even when things look the darkest and the most difficult, we can pray and we can sing. And it makes a difference in our life and it makes a difference in the lives of those around us. And so my question here is, as we kind of wrap things up is, how about you? How about you? Where are you in this story? Because I have no doubt that God wants to grow things in your life. God wants to grow your life. God wants to grow bigger in your life. I was thinking about John the Baptist. There's that time when John the Baptist, um, who was really powerful, had a lot going for him. But when he sees Jesus and he kind of realizes who Jesus is, he says this. He says, may I decrease so that he can can increase. In other words, I got to get smaller so Jesus can get bigger in my life. I need God to grow. And if you were to pray that prayer, what would it look like? Is there immediate obedience that you need to, to follow in? Is there a trust in God's plan, even when it doesn't feel like things are going the way you are, would want them to go? Do you need to open your eyes and see what God wants to do? Are there things that you own that you're holding on to tightly that you need to recognize? These things belong to God. And follow the, the path of Lydia, who was generous and, and said, God, everything I have belongs to you. Do you need to get it in your head for yourself and for the people around you that the good news, you guys, is for everyone? It's good news for you and it's good news for everyone. Is there suffering you're going through that you need to to stop fighting against and just find God in it? And are there trials that you need to worship in? Because God wants you to grow. He loves you so much. And he'll do whatever it takes to see that happen. God, I thank you so much for the stories in your word. I thank you, Lord, for people like Paul and Silas who were faithful to the best of their ability. Thank you for people like Lydia and this woman and the, the jailer who have their lives transformed. And Father, I thank you that all around this room and and everybody listening here today, there's so many lives that have been transformed. And we pray that you would do more of that. Father, would you increase, even if that means that we decrease? God, would you get bigger in our lives as we surrender ourselves more and more to you? And I imagine there's some here today who can hear my voice that would ask the question, well, what about me? How can I be saved? And Father, would the words of Scripture be true in their life that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and their lives would be transformed. We thank you for this. You are a great and an awesome and a holy God. And we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.